So six years ago when I moved to Texas, I was told that everything is bigger in Texas. We know that to be true, right? Last night, the wedding that is mentioned in your bulletin that we uh, had here in the sanctuary last night had 22 bridesmaids and 22 groomsmen. I'm not kidding. I can't make that up. They were stacked full in the choir loft. It was wall-to-wall bridesmaids, as best as I could tell. But it was a good day. Not only that, but the groom was a former Silver Spur, one of Bevo's handlers while he was at the University of Texas. And so Bevo himself was at the rehearsal dinner. I told him it wasn't as cool as Super Frog, but they did whatever they wanted to do. So speaking of big events, uh, we are all aware of the outpouring of love and support around the McElroy family following the incredible tragedy uh, that took place a couple of weeks ago. And on Friday here in the sanctuary, we will hold a service of remembrance, uh, celebrating the lives and mourning the death of Zach and Judson and Lindsay. And as uh, Allison mentioned a moment ago, we anticipate a pretty big crowd. Uh, If you have been paying attention at all to the outpouring of love and support here in the city of Fort Worth, Uh, And so um, we're going to have here in the sanctuary, uh, but also overflow down in Walker Hall. And when that fills up, uh, we're going to move folks across the street uh, next door to University Baptist Church, fill up that space where it'll be streamed in, and then into the Alumni Center down the street uh, where it'll be streamed in. And once that space is full, we're going to send them to the Blue, the student union across the street at, universe, at, the, at TCU. So all that to say, uh, oftentimes when there is an outpouring, then there is a tragedy such as this, everybody wants to do something. Not enough just to say something, to send a note, but we all want to do something. Well, church, here's our opportunity. Uh, we are looking for a good number of volunteers to help as ushers, as greeters, to help folks find their way uh, as we welcome the city of Fort Worth here to our space and to those satellite spaces as well. Uh, On Friday, I sent out an email to the congregation with a link to sign up to be one of those volunteers. Uh, If you did not receive that, I invite you to come out following the service uh, to the welcome desk where we will get you signed up. We would love to have as many folks as possible to help us to receive uh, the city of Fort Worth, but also to show show our support and to wrap our arms around the McElroy family in this incredibly difficult time. So this is week two of our Advent sermon series that we're calling Unwrapped, in which we're focusing on some of the surprising gifts that come to us in the midst of this season, as long as, it comes with a condition, as long as we can be patient, and we can be still, we can pay attention during this season. Now, traditionally, as I said last week, when we think of Advent, we immediately come to mind uh, Mary and Joseph. But actually, in the Gospel of Luke, the first couple that we meet is not Mary and Joseph, but Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're the first two people that we meet. And so in this season of Advent, as we are looking at some of the surprising gifts, we are looking at the story through their eyes. 
And they are teaching us about living in the pain of unanswered prayers, about the power of silence and simplicity. Next week, they're going to talk to us about the blessing of life-giving relationships and the promise of God to make a way even when it seems that no way is to be found. So last week, we learned that despite their there being good, God-fearing people, salt-of-the-earth type of people that were recognized by their community as being devout and faithful, that unanswered prayers and unnecessary burdens had made and found a presence in their lives as the one thing that they wanted, the one thing that they wished for, that they hoped for, that they prayed for, a child, was not in the cards. And this morning, that is where we pick up the story right where we left off. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 23. Here begins the reading. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. The word of God for the people of God. So church, you may already know this, and if not, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but there are only 15 days until Christmas. You probably know that. It's You've already been thrust into the season. This has been a full season already. You can sort of feel it in the air, can't you? There's just a lot going on. I don't know about your life, but my life these days seems, it feels like an, an overstuffed Christmas stocking. 
with all sorts of things being piled and stuffed inside. And I found myself, I found myself saying last week, if I can just get through Christmas. How many of us have said something like that in the last couple of weeks? If I can just get through Christmas. To which I'm sure God would say, well done. That's exactly what I had in mind for this holy season. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it, how crazy things get this time of year. There's so much going on that we get caught up in what the season demands from us to such an extent that we miss out on what this sacred season offers us. Here we are in the midst of the sacred season of Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, that, that offers us, that offers us a, 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 an outlet for the barrage of what happens to us in the midst of the cultural trimmings of Christmas. Advent is a churchy word, as I like to say. It means coming, arrival, and we await the presence of the coming of a special someone, in particular Jesus. But what we oftentimes get so caught up in is getting the right presence with a T to such an extent that we miss out on the presence with a C of the coming of God. And we miss out on what the season has to offer us. You see, the weeks leading up to Christmas is supposed to be a time when it's, when it's easier to focus on God's presence among us but all too often that's not the case because of all the decorations and the presents and the, the parties and the cards and the, the family dynamics with this added expectation that everything just be perfect. But if we're not careful, focusing on what really matters most oftentimes proves to be elusive. And that's the danger, isn't it? That, that the season is so filled with so many other things, that parties and shopping and looking for just the right gift that we'll miss out on the real gift that is offered to us in this sacred season. As the Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus once said, this is our predicament, that over and over again we lose sight. We lose sight of what is important and what is not. But I wonder, though, church, if I'm getting ahead of myself, Zechariah, who we met last week, is doing his priestly duty. And he and his wife, Elizabeth, they're now old, they're childless, seemingly resigned that life might simply leave them with unanswered prayers. Perhaps you've been there in a similar situation. You've wanted something, you've prayed for something, you've longed for something, but it's not come to pass. And so as a result of that, you've just sort of You've just sort of resigned yourself that this is how it's going to be. This is as good as it's going to get. And you're discouraged and you're resigned and you've given up praying or hoping that anything might be different. But for Zechariah, this was a big day because he had been chosen he had been chosen to burn incense in the holy place, which was an offering in that time. And he was to enter into the sanctuary on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. And at that time, he would enter into the sanctuary, the temple of the Lord, all by himself. 
as a representative of the entire nation of Israel, and he would begin in that moment. Now, this was typically done by a priest once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. This was the pinnacle of Zechariah's priestly service. So I want you to imagine, to try and put yourself in his, that this was, this was the best day, the proudest day. Think about your best day, your proudest day in your life, the crowning achievement of your career. And then God interrupts in that moment. Now, specifically for Zechariah, it's an angel of the Lord, and the angel Gabriel stops him in his tracks, and it appears with the news that, that Elizabeth and Zechariah, their prayer had been heard. And not only has it been heard, but, but what they had asked for, what they had wanted for, what they had prayed for, what they were being given was even bigger than they had imagined. That this older, childless couple, couple would not only have a son, but, but he will be great in the sight of the Lord, you heard. And will turn many people to the people of Israel to God. He will be the forerunner to the Messiah. He'll get people ready for God, as one translation puts it. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind that for many years, Israel and its people had experienced the silence of God. The last prophet to show up in the Old Testament was Malachi, and that had been 450 years prior to that moment. So for the people of Israel, they had experienced 450 years of silence. And so they had gotten used to, to not having a prophet around no one to rebuke them, no one to encourage them, no one to give them a sense that God was still speaking into their lives. For 450 years, all they had experienced was the silence of God. And to make matters even worse, their, <clears throat> their nation was overrun by the power of the Gentile countries. <clears throat> and so you can imagine with each generation having lower and lower expectations that God would actually do something in the world. Maybe, maybe they could somehow imagine that maybe someday in the far-off distance that God would do something new, but certainly not in this generation, certainly not in my lifetime. And so, and so when this angel shows up and begins to speak, this answer to prayer would have been seen as a double blessing. A double blessing because not just to the people of Israel who finally was going to have a prophet, someone who would, who would lead them. It was a sign and a symbol that, that God had not forgotten them. But also for Zechariah and Elizabeth, it was a, a message that your prayers have been answered. That God has care for you, concern for you, not just the crowd of people, but you personally, individually. This message was not just macro for the people of Israel, but micro for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this was unbelievable news. And in the case of Zechariah, I mean that quite literally. He didn't believe it. He couldn't. But the angel, however, doesn't seem to appreciate his disbelief. And he explains that in response to that, he will be unable to say a single word until the day that his son is born. Well, as Zechariah emerges from the temple, he's silent. He's silent, unable to speak. And, and those that were gathered around outside, they, they sensed that something had happened, but they didn't know what. All they knew was that when he walked out, 
His mouth was closed, but his eyes were as wide as saucers. But maybe, maybe as one Bible commentary put it, this was not doubt at work. As David Loos puts it, Zechariah is being called into silence, into stillness, and he's encouraged to pause and to see that God truly is at work. Because when there's a dream or a vision that God offers us, and it's too big, it's too, too good for us to imagine, it requires a lot for us to believe it. And sometimes we need to pause, to take a breath, so that we might receive it. Well, in the midst of this season, in which there is very little silence, very little stillness, very little simplicity, perhaps what we need most in moments like this to wrap our hearts and our heads around this unbelievable announcement, this inbreaking of the holy into our busy and hectic lives. But the problem, of course, is that there's very little of that, as we mentioned. That there's very little silence, there's very little stillness, there's very little simplicity. And as a result of that, we miss out on the magnitude and the meaning of what this season is all about. Let me give you an example of what that might look like. Back in the height of the Cold War, Sir Nicholas Henderson was the British ambassador to the United States. And a reporter from the Washington Post reached out to them in the days leading up to Christmas to have an interview. He was doing a story on all of the ambassadors, the ambassador corps that were gathered together. And in the midst of that interview, he asked Sir Nicholas Henderson, so what is it that you want for Christmas? Well, as we all know, the British are uh, all about understatement and reserve. And so he didn't want to appear greedy, so he simply said that his favorite thing each morning was to begin with a piece of toast with a fruit spread. So really, all I want for Christmas, he said, was a jar of fruit preserved in ginger. Well, a few days later, the Washington Post comes out and posts this Christmas edition, and it featured an article on all of the ambassadors and what they wanted for Christmas. And the Russian ambassador said that he wanted peace and goodwill. The Swiss ambassador hoped for a genuine disarmament around the world. The Israeli ambassador wanted peace in the Middle East. And, of course, Sir Nicholas, the British ambassador, was recorded for wanting a jar of fruit. I think, I think all too often, our dreams, our visions of what this season, of what this time in our life can look like, can look a lot like an ambassador wanting a jar of fruit. That God is trying to usher something new into this world, in us and through us, and we just want a jar of fruit. We just want to get through it. But isn't the meaning of Christmas that God is, is smuggling God's very self into this world through the, through the lives of common and ordinary people, people like Elizabeth and Zachariah, like Mary and Joseph, people like you and me, that God is making a way into this world, and yet that seems hard for us to believe, doesn't it? As Enuma Okoro once wrote in an Advent devotional, when there is a dream or a vision that God offers and it's too big or too good for us to imagine, 
We require a lot to believe it, and it's almost as though we have conditioned ourselves to have little or no expectations of that divine generosity that is extended towards us. And so sometimes we need that pause so that we can receive it. But how do we pause? Because simplicity and silence, these seem like far-fetched ideas in a time such as this, especially in the midst of a, of a busy and hectic holiday season. And most of us can't even begin to imagine can't even begin to imagine that God might do something bold and new in us and through us during this time because let's be honest, who has the time and the energy for that? And so maybe the real question is, how do we avoid getting sucked into this cultural frenzy of the season so that we can pay attention to what God is doing in the world around us? what God is doing through the birth of Jesus Christ, where do we find moments of silence and simplicity that should mark the sacred, sacredness of this season? Well, might I suggest, might I suggest that this Christmas, this Advent season, that we not focus so much on finding the right present to buy and instead Focusing on the right gift to give. What if we were able to somehow give new life, to give hope, to give joy, instead of a sweater or a video game or more stuff? Because ultimately, isn't that what we really want? Isn't that what the world truly needs? 30 years ago, there was a book that came out entitled Unplug the Christmas Machine. And it might be even more timely, more relevant today than it was when it was published 30 years ago. And the book shares essentially what, what people, especially children, truly want this season. When Christmas, when it rolls around, what they really want are four things. One, they want a relaxed and loving time with family. They want realistic expectation when it comes to gifts. They want an evenly paced holiday season. And they want reliable family traditions. That that's what we really want for Christmas. Regardless of what's on our Christmas wish list, what we all want is something like that. Because doesn't that sound good to you? What if what, if what we really need what we really need this Christmas is those types of things so that we can receive the true gift of Christmas. You see, the angel Gabriel gives Zechariah permission to be silent and to live simply in that moment. And he offers him a word that might seem rude or even punitive at the time, but, but take a deeper look and maybe you can see that he is actually giving him permission to create space in his life, to, to move deeper into silence and simplicity so that he can hear the voice of God. A voice that had gone silent for far too long. And so simplicity and silence, maybe those are the keys to, to hearing the voice of God, especially in the midst of this season as God comes to be with us. You see, this season of Advent really is about clearing out space in our lives space in our hearts and our minds to make room for the holy, for the divine presence so that Christ can be born anew in us. 
So what if we set aside all of the noise, all of the consumption, and we created spaces of silence and simplicity? What if we lived relationally? What if we invested in one another in people? What if we shopped less and loved more? You see, church, my hope and my prayer is that in the silent spaces that you create, that the simplicity of God's love will become tangibly real, that it will be born anew in your life, that you might come to see that the simple truths of of love, that the recognition of love here in the midst of life, wherever you are, whether your life is filled with joy and satisfaction, with excitement, or it is overwhelmed with pain and sorrow, that wherever you are in life's journey, that God's love is there with hopes and dreams of waiting to be born in you, that you might know the goodness of God's grace for you.